Hey, this is John Fanta from Fox College Hoops and Big East Shootaround. You're listening to the best podcast on the Seton Hall Pirates, Left Coast Pirates. Just west of the Ward Place Gate from San Diego, California. He is Mike Dizzy Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tommy Chilkoharski, class of 1997, and we are Left Coast Pirates. Good evening, Michael. How you doing tonight? I'm hanging in there, Tommy. It's it's tough to be sitting there on the couch Saturday and Sunday, uh, first weekend of the NCAA tournament, knowing you had a chance to possibly play in that game, and and you're watching everybody else kind of chase their dream to make it to the Sweet 16. It's it's tough. I totally agree with you, Mike. I didn't think we could do our normal analysis of this game. After that game, I was spent. I ran the gamut of emotions, Michael, and I won't apologize for it. You hear me? I will not apologize for it. I went through the five traditional stages of grief, Mike. I was in denial. We did not just lose to a team named Wolford. I was angry. I said, damn you, Willard. Damn you all. I was starting to bargain. You know, if we had only done this or we had only done that, I was in depression. I couldn't even handle our normal post-game recap phone call, Mike. I just need to go to bed. And even when I got to bed, my mind was racing. I couldn't go to sleep. And then finally, acceptance. But you know, acceptance came and I said, this game was actually a great example of what this team had done all long season. We had a great start. We had a long lull. We hit a huge deficit. We had an incredible recovery and comeback, Mike. Almost one for the ages. We took a lead. And then we just fell short. Why? Well, reasons. Reasons that we're going to go through, Mike. I, I get it. But, but why all the grief? I, I know we wanted a shot for the rematch against Kentucky. But did this team not find a way? to make a fourth NCAA appearance for the second time in program history? Did this team not find a way to be successful after losing four special seniors the year before? By all standards, it was supposed to be a rebuilding year. Did this team not prove all the critics wrong and outperform the eighth place Big East prediction? I mean, I don't want to hear about all this nine and nine and they were just two games out of last place. They beat the top dogs in the conference and Kentucky and Maryland to boot. Did this team not find a way to keep you on the edge of your seat good or bad, and make this one of the most very entertaining seasons to follow. No True Blue fan wants to end the season with a loss. But along with 67 other teams that make the NCAA tournament, that's the way it's going to end, Tommy. So it's time for you to put on your big boy pants, and let's break down this tough loss to Wofford. Are you ready? I'm not sure, Mike, but we're going to go for it anyway. Wofford beat us. 84 to 66. Like I said previously, we start off with great energy defensively, jumping out to an early 12-7 lead. Sandra was all over the floor making plays, and we were switching hard all over Jimmy Chitwood, Fletcher McGee. Wolford responded from deep and went on a 27-6 run over the next 10-minute stretch. We weathered the storm a bit and cut the lead to go down 10 at half. In the second half, Miles Powell became All-American Miles Powell again. 
scoring 23 of his game-high 27 points. His assist to Jared Roden gave the Hall the lead at 61-60 with 7.48 to play. But that man McGee came back along with his shooting partner Nathan Hoover and they just cannot be denied as Wolford hit three triples on consecutive possessions to ignite a 17-2 run to close out the game. The two combined for a crazy 11-19 shooting from distance and were just too much for the Pirates to overcome. Mike, did we really lose to Wolford? It was a lot of the same storylines that we probably recapped throughout the season. We're going to go through these main talking points right now, and it's kind of a bit of deja vu. Let's start off with the offensive droughts that lead to double-digit deficits. Kind of a, like I said, the biggest repeating theme throughout the year that probably frustrated fans the most. And We've always said it. If this team did not dig these double-digit deficits and played toe-to-toe from the start and didn't have to expend all their energy coming back, they could probably put teams to bed early. They probably wouldn't be coming down to the final buzzer. There was an interesting stat that was called out in the game saying that Seton Hall tied for the national all-Division One teams for the most games decided by less than 10 points. 24. That's crazy. It's, and it's because we always have to fight back down from double-digit deficits. And to me, it, it's all about the guard play and the issues that we have at, at guard outside of Miles Powell. So tell I want to hear your take. You tell me how you thought the guards performed outside of Miles in this game. Well, starting off, Q had a rough game. And I'm not going to bang on him too hard. He is the heart and soul of the defense. He plays hard. We wouldn't be where we were without him. But offensively, he is not a full-time point guard. He had a horrendous carry uh, as on one of the possessions that kind of like spoke volumes about he's just not comfortable running that offense. And when Q has his turnovers, I I, I wish it was it wasn't this bad, but his turnovers fall into that, uh, as Willard describes it, that pick six category where it normally leads to transition offense on the fast break, you know, going the other way for a foul or a two point bucket. And in addition to his carry, he did that again early in the game. It, it's it gets a little frustrating when he's off on a given night that it just kind of perpetuates into just this poor point guard play that magnifies that he shouldn't really be in that role as often as he is. And I know he's out there for the defense, but he really kind of hurts you at, at the point guard spot. But left coast Pirates favorite Anthony Nelson came in that first half. Mike played big minutes in that first half. I believe he had eight minutes and he looked good. I mean, he was getting to the rim. He shot the ball decently. He was getting the ball to people. He just continued that top notch play that he's had for the past two weeks. We were concerned that the bright lights of the NCAA tournament might kind of slow him down. But the three games that he had in the Big East tournament easily carried over to his performance uh, in, in the Thursday night game. I'm just a little disappointed that the, the rotation strategy by Kevin did not allow Nelson to get back into the game in the second half. I think he was two of three from the floor, hit a three in the corner, had a nice drive to the basket. He was really aggressive playing defense in that three quarters press that we were doing. And he, he didn't step on the floor in the second half. I, I just didn't understand that substitution pattern. And to be honest, it probably led to that 17-2 run at the end of the game because the guys were spent. They pressed for most of the game to get the turnovers moving. And by the end of that game, you could just see the exhaustion 
on Miles Powell and Q's faces. It wasn't even just that they were tired in the second half. I, I want to continue to go back to the first half. Wofford went on a 27 to six run that put us into this hole. And I feel like I'm we're, we're picking on Q again. And we said this Q has a Jekyll and Hyde type offensive game. Some nights he's great. Some nights he's not. And this was one of the nights that he wasn't. Q ended the season. And this is a crazy stat. He ended the season over his last 15 three-point attempts. He was over three in this game. And I think that has to do with his ability to break down the defense. If you know, based on the scouting report, that the other team's point guard can't shoot it from deep, you're going to play off by a step or two. And it was obvious that Q could not off the dribble get past uh, Storm Murphy from Wofford. And, and that kind of just bogs down the rest of the offense. All of a sudden, they swing it over to Powell, and, and we're back into a one-on-one play with the shot clock running down. And if you can't break Storm Murphy off the dribble, you're not going to break anybody off the dribble because he was getting abused in that Kentucky game. Nelson was doing whatever he wanted to him. So, I mean, it's he's just not a point. And hopefully next year he'll be that super sub. Nelson will take that next step to be the starting point guard, hopefully. He'll own that position, and Q will go back and be that Derek Gordon-type substitute that you've been calling for all season long. I want to continue to analyze the card play that we got in that first half. And I am probably going to not be a fan favorite for making these kind of comments. We, we didn't get a lot of credit when we said that Shavar was the 10th best player on the team after he missed the game winning three against Xavier. We took a lot of slack for that in, in some of the message boards out there. However, Shavar came in and got five to six big minutes in the first half of this game. And I would be remiss if I don't actually kind of break it down and be a little harsh on the kid. I don't think what he brought to the game was warranted the amount of shots that he took and the amount of minutes that he got in place of Kale. I know Kale was going through his struggles, but Kevin has this quick yo-yo to take you out of the game when you're not playing well. And he does that to, to Miles a lot. He does that in the past, or he did that in the past to people like Desi and, and Ish. And all of a sudden, Shavar comes into the game and he doesn't get that same kind of treatment. Do, do you agree? Look, I'm not going to bang on Shavar I've done it enough this season. And again, I feel like we always have to put this justification out there saying we're not bagging on Shavar the person. We're bagging on the positions he's getting put into. If you're going to make him play big minutes in a NCAA tournament, he's going to be fair game. And what did he do? He took three really bad shots. He missed them all. He played horrendous defense. And you're not just, you're not being fair. You you are not analyzing it the way that it needs to be analyzed. He didn't just take three shots and miss three shots. He he has not made a three in God knows how long. So once again, the scouting report leaves him wide open in the corner baseline, which he missed again. He took a drive. From the left corner, attacked the rim, came up short. Roden grabs a rebound to keep that possession alive. Then he gets the ball at the top of the key, clearly travels shuffling his feet. The refs don't call it. He attacks the lane, steps back, fade away from eight feet, another air ball. I'm sorry. We are in a, a funk in the first half, and then we finally start turning the corner to cut the deficit from 16 back to eight. And in that sequence, Shavar gets those three shots. It's, it's not okay. He also loses McGee for his record-tying four-point play in which Enzi has to try to close out to cover for him. And then, once again, Storm Murphy put a crossover on him that Bill Raffi would have been like lingerie on the deck. He, he wasn't five feet near him when Murphy kind of hit that foul line uh, jump shot. And then to, to end it right before he gets pulled from the game, he gets caught on a switch against one of the bigger guys. I think they're a small forward, uh, a Luve or something like that. 
and Shavar holds him while we're in the bonus and sends him to the line for two more free throws. It was a really bad sequence for the five minutes that he was in. We're not talking one or two plays. We're talking about five to six collective plays. And normally when you and I are talking about breaking down turning points in in an NCAA tournament game, we break it down to like one or two moments. Shavar had five or six bad moments. Why is Kale not coming back in the game? I don't have an answer for it, Mike. I, I don't have an answer of why Shavar plays this many minutes. Again, I've always said if Shavar is coming in two minutes a half to give Miles a, a quick spell, especially if you strategically place these moments in there where you add in a you know a TV timeout or something like that, get him four or five minutes of rest. I have no problem with it. You know, it ends up being like a Rashad Anthony kind of deal. But in this case, I'm not good with it. But you know, continuing on the discussion of bad guard play miles had a hard first half miles powell and i'll tell you what you know while we're watching the game i'm hitting the twitter i'm watching things people are killing him and i'm saying you know We've seen bad halves for Miles before. I'm not going to kill him. People had the nerve to call him Isaiah Powell, you know, comparing it to Isaiah game against Gonzaga a few years ago, which I think he takes a lot of grief for. You know, you get bad games. Everybody has bad games and he gets a lot more grief than he deserves for that game. But what did I say to you, Mike? I want you to tell me what did I say to you at half that Miles was going to get in that second half? Uh, you said you said if he gets me twenty five, we're gonna win this game. I said he's he got, going. He's gonna get no, me twenty five. That's what I said. said. You said he's gotta get me twenty five. There's a difference between he's going to the the prophecy over here. He's Michael, going to it. Michael, ah, you're, you're projecting. And what did he get me in that second half? He got gotcha. me twenty three. He put I, the I, Superman cape on and he went to town. I'm not gonna lie. I was watching that first half and, and I'm texting you going. Darius Lane, 2 of 18, Oklahoma State. Isaiah Whitehead, 424, Gonzaga. I was afraid that Powell was going to, unfortunately, put his name in the record books, uh, you know, coming up a little bit small in a big spot as as the superstar. He, he proved me wrong. I, I, I had it's angst. It's not fair, Mike. It's not fair when these guys get this. Isaiah put the team on his back against Nova in the Big East final. Everybody seems to forget that. And then all of a sudden, he gets a bad game in Denver in the altitude at 10 o'clock at night local against a Gonzaga team that was basically playing a home game and everybody kills him for it. I am not going to kill Isaiah for it. The emotion of the fan being in that NCAA tournament, wanting to see bigger and better things happen, the grandioso of the moment, you get caught up into it. It's just, it's in the mindset of certain fans that when you see that happening, you're afraid it's going to duplicate itself. But Miles proved us wrong. He woke up in the second half and he did all that he could to put them on his back. And you know what? And, and it was only a brief stay in the NCAA tournament, but he got a chance to show the world what he was all about. I mean, he had a run and, and he scored 23 in the second half, but it wasn't like he scored 23 over the course of 20 minutes. He scored 23 over the course of like 10 minutes. It was pretty cool to watch. Can you say, Michael, that perhaps when Miles Powell makes, the world takes? Oh, stop it. Don't 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 feed into Gus's crap. I, I'm being serious. I mean, I, I think this didn't get enough attention. We, we were at a certain point kind of going back and forth and Miles attacked the basket and got a foul. And it looked like he banged up his knee and Wofford went on their big run where they hit all the threes afterwards. And it kind of became an afterthought. But Miles settled for a long three pointer that kind of rimmed out and kind of broke our momentum to kind of go back and forth with them. It didn't look like he wanted to be explosive off of that leg. He kind of settled for a very 
long NBA type three. It was it was halfway down, but he did not like he did not seem like he was himself after he banged knees on that drive uh, a couple plays earlier. And I think that, that, that didn't really get talked about. I want to say this is like the second game in a row that he's gone hard to the basket where he's gone down heavy and we all kind of hold our collective breaths hoping that he's not really hurt. I mean, he really attacks the rim with abandon and this is the kind of stuff he can happen. I mean, he's a smaller guy. People forget him. He's 6'2". He's not a 6'5 guard. He's not one of those Kentucky guards with those big NBA bodies that just kind of Go to the lane. He's a smaller guy. I'm just glad that Miles got a chance to show what he was all about. Uh, it kind of put a stamp on the season, even though it was a loss. I mean, he, he literally was Superman throughout most of the season with some of his performances to put us over the top. And without his second half, well, we don't even make the comeback. We, we don't even have this glimmer of hope. So it, it was cool to see him do it one last time. But but let's be honest. I, I know you don't agree with me. Fletcher McGee is legit. I mean, the kid sets the Division One record for threes made in a career. And I knew when we were up 12 to seven and he grabbed that offensive rebound or the pass that he got in the lane and he dribbled back around to the top of the circle and it came, came across like a little bit of a, a, a semi pick and he hits that quick three in your eye. And I was like, uh oh, this, this kid can shoot it. The, the scouting report was right. Those videos were on point. He might have it tonight. And he did. He had it going. I was telling you from the beginning of the game, I was calling him Jimmy Chitwood. You know, if, if, if the people out there don't remember who Jimmy Chitwood is, go watch yourself Hoosiers. I think he misses one shot in that whole movie, and that's what he looked like. But, Mike, let's pump the brakes a little bit. You know, you whoa, 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 whoa. How are we losing him? My, my point is, I, I know you're going to go, like, beat him up and say what he, what he is and what he isn't. How are we still losing him? He is the guy on their team. He's their all-time leading scorer, 24-84 in total point score. We talked about it coming into the game. You know, you know he's going for the NCAA record. You know he's going to put up double-digit three-point attempts, and we're losing him at, at crucial points in that game? That, that's not acceptable. Well, we are a young team. We are a young team that loses its focus at times, and that focus should have been Fletcher McGee from the outside. Everything, Let everything else go one-on-one. Fletcher McGee does not get his shots. That's what happens, and and it didn't happen. That's how we were losing them. We lost focus. But Mike, all right. So 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 go ahead. You're, you're telling me to pump the brakes. Go go ahead. But what do you got for me? You know, fabulous shooter. Kid is wonderful. I mean, and he takes those crazy kind of off balance shots. It's a wonderful thing. But Mike, let me tell you something about top ten all time three point made list. Okay, the list itself is very unimpressive. We've got two guys on that list that have played in big conferences. J.J. Redick, number three, played in the ACC. And Chris Lofton, of all people, rounding out the top 10 at Tennessee, and that plays in the SEC. The rest of these conferences are like the no-name conferences of the world. We know Wolford plays in the Southern Conference. You had a guy from Horizon, Western Athletic, Big South, the Mac, my boy Damian Lynn of Union Catholic High School for the Atlantic Sun when he was at NJIT, the West Coast, the Big Sky. What does this all mean? Zip. The only guy that played in the pros was J.J. Redick. And it's fine. You make a lot of threes against a lot of crap competition. I get it. And you know what, Mike? I'll tell you this. Fletcher McGee, your boy all of a sudden, you want to make him the next guy, played seven games this year against major conference opponents. He had one good game. 
And of course, it was against us. And he laid the biggest egg of his life against that long, tall Kentucky team and went 0 for 12 in that second round. You know the Kentucky team I'm talking about, the one that miles and miles took to town and beat in the garden. All right. So, so I, got, I got a couple things to come back at that. If you're going to talk about this list, can you at least give the, the local guy his due? So so Kedrin Clark, a.k.a. Kiki Clark out of St. Peter's, man, give, give the guy his due. He, he, he's in the top 10 he's a local boy. I, I I got to watch him play against Holloway back in the day live. I mean, I, I, gave, the, the local throw, boy, throw, I gave the local boy love. Damian, you, Lynn, gave, and you gave you, you, you gave your local boy some love. I got to watch Kiki play live. Anyway, okay. And, and I, do you know I, what, Mike? I'll tell you this. You know when we started having trouble? It wasn't when Fletcher McGee hit it. No, I think it was the one guy that wasn't on our scouting report, Mike. It was Cameron Jackson, the big fatty in the middle. He went 14-10-5 against us. He set that table, and he was killing Gil. He was killing Sandro. He was the one that set that table up. And then all of a sudden, we are like, oh, crap, we can't handle him down low. And we lost our focus. So he wasn't on our scouting report. He was on Willard's scouting report. Ke- Kevin even said it coming into the game. He was afraid of Jackson. Wait, he didn't, wait, he didn't, wait, wait, he didn't he think he had someone who was going to match report? up against him. Oh, oh, no, no, Mike. I don't know if there was a scouting report because no, I, I, this I'm all leads. About, I'm, ta- I, I'm talking about Left Coast Pirates scouting report going into the game <laughs> from the last podcast. But but Kevin said it. Kevin said, I am concerned uh, that we don't have the right kind of guy to match up against J- uh, Jackson. My, my, my issue is this. My issue is this. This goes back to this 27 to six run again. And it's all about matchups and all about knowing your personnel. And and I, I wanted to throw this in before and we didn't get to it. He brought Gill in when the game was tied 16, 16. And what happened in the blink of an eye, they went on a seven Oh run. They feed the post to Jackson. He does a drop step spin move to the baseline and one couple sequences later, they put up a shot. Jackson gets the offensive rebound over Gill quick outlet to the three point line. We're out of position. Boom. All of a sudden the blink of the eye, the game is now 23 to 16. If he knew he was going to have a problem matching up against Jackson and he saw that Sandro and, and Enzi were having problems in the first five minutes, why is Gil the answer? Why, why is Gil the matchup? You know, Mike, this kind of leads to the question, were we really prepared? I mean, in the postgame presser, Miles Kale, of all people, came out and said, we didn't really know them coming into this game. They kind of surprised us. Mike, we spent an entire half hour breaking down Wolford. How is this surprising? It's just, it's it's more frustrating than surprising. I, I don't I don't even think it's surprising. Uh, Ken Palm put out a number saying that McGee, throughout his career, he played 20 games against a tier A opponent. I'm, I'm not sure what qualifies for what a tier A opponent is, but but let's just assume it's the better quality of basketball or or power five conference schools, so, something in that in that stratosphere. Throughout his career, in those 20 games, he shot 29% from three. Against everybody else that he matched up in his career, he shot 45%. All Dan from Rivals actually threw out a really interesting point. He said, kind of ironic that that the guy who shot the or owns the record for most three pointers made in division one history now also holds the record for most misses from three point range without a make in an NCAA tournament game that 0 for 12 against Kentucky. It's frustrating. Miles Powell went out to Twitter and he's like, kind of like just our luck. I, I, I forgot the exact wording, but we were frustrated that we knew that this is the one guy that can beat us. He goes seven for 12 and then follows it up with an 0 for 12. 
It is what it is. And and let's let's put it legit here. I would love to have Fletcher McGee on the team. But if he was on our team, he'd probably be the third option. He'd probably want be one of those spot-up shooter guys. And if he would get you 11 to 12 points a game, you'd be ecstatic with him. But he's oh, this not is, playing the, the, big the, conference basketball. Let, let's move on. The, 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 this game was clearly a tale of two halves, and, and the first half did not go our way. Some of the numbers jump off the page. First half. Zero free throws attempted in the second half. We imposed our will more like we should have. And we got to the line 15 times. We said it. We are the the bigger team, the more aggressive team. Why we don't get to the line in the first half, I have no idea. We were sloppy with the ball in the first half. Nine turnovers in the Marquette and Villanova games, uh, semifinals and championship round of the Big East tournament. We had seven and eight turnovers in those two games, respectively. We had nine in the first half. We played a great second half. We only had four turnovers. I, I just it was it was mind boggling that we would revert back that quickly to the the sloppy ball handling. And then obviously there there's Powell, the four points versus the twenty three. I mean, I would like to see him have more balanced efforts as Herculean as his effort was in the second half. I'd still like to see him be more balanced. He looked a little lethargic in that first half. We were all kind of wondering what was going on. But we've seen that before. We've seen him have a half where it was pedestrian, and we and he's come back with it. That's why I wasn't worried about it at half. You know, we were joking around me predicting 25 points for him in the second half. But seriously, I was not concerned about Miles Powell coming back. But yes, you'd like to see something more like 12 and 15 in a total in a game total as opposed to four and 23 but mike we're not all negativity here mike i think we see that the future is bright you're telling me the future is bright the can, future can, is can bright I, michael can, can, can we rewind that back a couple times just kind of have it on have it on repeat the future is bright I, I i get i get it i get it i loved i loved what nelson brought to the table in the last the last few games we've been calling he, for it all season mike he's an lcp favorite he's she needs to be potentially needs to be our starting point guard next year. It just seems, I feel like I'm the broken record now. It seems like the offense just moves and flows better when he's in there. I would like to see Q come in, be that super sub, be a high energy defensive guy, play some backup point guard, but also get some time to spell miles off the ball. I would love to see Nelson kind of get the keys to the bus next year. There were points where I was just like, wow, he made some great plays that kind of went unnoticed. He had a drive where he broke down the D in the first half, got into the lane, and threw an alley-oop to Gill, who had no idea it was coming. Next year, with Ike in the middle, that could be a throwdown. He has the vision to get others involved and not be a ball-dominant combo point guard that we've seen for the last couple of years. And I'm excited that, about And that. he's also got that quick first step that can break down the guys off the dribble. If he gets into the weight room, I mean, this is once again, this is what everybody says. If, if the guy gets into the weight room after his freshman year, puts on some pounds, strengthens up, works on his right hand, adds a jump shot, Nelson's got a lot of things he's got to work on. But what he showed made you believe that, yes, we could get back to having that true point guard to make the offense flow. So I was excited. You're right. Relative to Nelson, I'm looking forward to next year. Keep going. I want to hear this. I want to hear what else you got. I'll take one freshman and do you another one better, Mike. Jared Roden has a bright future. His ceiling is high. He's athletic. He always seems to be around the ball, Mike. He gets hands on the ball all the time. Now, he needs to understand his game. He needs to go work on that jumper. I'd like to see him go to the basket more in controlled manners, but the boy can ball. If I would have told you at the beginning of the season, 
after you saw Roden play a few games that with under 10 minutes to go, he was going to hit a huge three-point jump shot to put us in the lead in an NCAA tournament game. What would you have said to me? You know, forget the three. I mean, he has played serious minutes in the back half of the Big East schedule during the Big East tournament and then an NCAA game. This is Be- going to pay this is going to pay off big time next year. Because I think he is playing his role. I, I know you're a little down on his jump shot in three-point uh, game at this point, but he has actually crashed the boards, given your really good energy on defense. He's playing both sides of the floor on the glass. He's been playing an undersized four. Uh, don't make me digress and, and pick on Torian Thompson again, but he is playing the minutes that Thompson should have been on the floor for. That's a lot to ask for a freshman who didn't get into the rotation until the second half of the year. You have to be really pleasantly surprised with what you got from Roden down the stretch. You really do. Additionally, we've got Sandro and Miles Kale coming back for their junior year. Both should be more stable. Both should have bigger jump in their production. They know the season. They know the games. They should be big time positive contributors for us. I want to see once again, more consistently, some of the flashes that we've gotten from Kale and Sandro. And and you saw it again in the Wofford game. So Kale stepped into that three uh, early in the game. I mean, that's a shot that he didn't have his freshman year. He didn't really even have in the first half of the season. He He consistently steps up with more range on his three point shot. He's still aggressive on the fast break, attacking when when they went up 12-7 uh, on the runout, He has that part of his game. He has a high level of energy. And conversely, I would like to see the same kind of energy from Sandro. I've never seen Sandro come out of the gate in the first five minutes of a game as strong as he came out against, against Wofford. I, I was really excited. He hit that first three, and I was like, oh, oh, that's a good sign. And then he was out on the break. He was grabbing boards. He was getting deflections. How would you feel about Sandro in the first five minutes? I I was texting you. I was telling you I loved what I saw from him. But you know what? At about 12 minutes in, it all kind of went away. He went. He started doing some crazy moves. The one charge that he picked up, I believe, in the second half was really bad. We need more consistency. And I'll tell you this. We're talking about positivity. We're staying positive here. But I'm going to say this. There was a lot written about Kale in his past couple games saying how, how poorly he played. Not once have I seen that article about Sandro. And Sandro's numbers significantly went down from where they were in the out-of-conference till they are now. I don't think it's fair that Kale gets banged on about his play being inconsistent, and Sandro doesn't. You know, I understand Kale was the higher recruit, but Sandro was the savior all of a sudden. I agree with you. I, I absolutely agree that Sandro probably gets cut some some slack for some reason. I, 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 I can't put my finger on it, but you're right. Their inconsistencies have both been documented. When the two of them play at a higher level, we are a different team. When they play at a higher level together, we're kind of almost an unbeatable team. Jim Sabornarkle said it, and this is my takeaway for the, the future is bright with the theme that we're sticking with here. He goes, I've never seen Sandro play with the level of confidence he's playing with right now. And that's within the first five minutes of the game. And he goes, and I've called a lot of Seton Hall games this year. We would just like to see that confidence from Sandro be consistent for a full 40 minutes. I want to be consistent over a, a larger stretch of games. If he can do that, once again, Future's bright with regards to Sandro. Okay, Mike, let's discuss the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Is there a chance, is there some concern, that Miles Powell doesn't come back next year? I think there always has to be. I, I know he was asked the question post-game. I know he was asked the question a couple days later. He's been out on Twitter saying there's unfinished business. I'm back. Didn't see the Angel Delgado situation coming. 
And out of nowhere, we almost got blindsided that, you know, Angel was going to go pro. So you just don't know. I mean, Miles says he's going to go through the process and lean on the advice of coach to kind of do what's best for him. You know, maybe he goes through a couple workouts. Maybe he goes to the combine and, and ultimately the, the the expectation is to come back. But all it takes is one organization to get in your ear, one agent to kind of put the concept that the money is there. You're going to get drafted in the first round. You're going to get a guaranteed contract uh, a la, you know, Isaiah Whitehead did with the Nets. And before you blink, he could be gone. I, I don't think that's going to happen, but you just don't know. Maybe I'm old-fashioned, Mike, and maybe this adage doesn't apply anymore. But I've always said, unless you're a lottery pick, don't go. Because it doesn't make any sense. Did it make sense for Isaiah to go 41st to the Utah Jazz and then get traded back home to Brooklyn? You, you don't know. Every situation is unique. I, I'm not going to break down, you know, what his background is or what his family's financial situation is or, you know, what he's doing academically or what are his goals. This is not the point in time for this conversation. All I know is with all the other things that we broke down, Nelson running the point, Roden maturing, getting Kale and Sandro to be consistent and then bringing back the centerpiece of it all. That's exciting. So if Miles is here, the ceiling is going to definitely be raised. We talked about how expectations changed after the Kentucky and Maryland win, and that kind of put us on this emotional roller coaster of did we achieve what we want to achieve? Are we falling short? Next year, if all of those things are in front of us and those guys get a little bit better, we're going to be talking about loftier goals. So that makes that that makes the future brighter than it's been in a while. I'm excited. Yeah, there's a lot to be excited about. And you know, Mike, in that great second half that we watched with the comeback, there was a lot to be excited about that. And there was a few, whoa, did you see those moments? It wasn't there, Mike. There was. Like I said earlier, I think Miles had a chance to kind of be on the biggest stage. It was the last game on the, on the schedule for the night. So if you were still up watching NCAA basketball, there was really no other competition. So he got to put his game on showcase for the world to see. And when he hit the back-to-back three-pointers to give them their first lead in the second half, I probably woke up the kids. It was a woo! can't believe he did it again. Here we go. This is what we do. We, we, we get down double digits. We charge back. We have the defensive intensity. Wofford doesn't know what hit him. Just didn't work out. But, but Miles had his opportunity to be, look at me. Whoa, did you see that? One more time. When he takes them, you just think they're going in. But much to your chagrin, Mike, I don't know that we had anything stupid that the announcer said. Spinarkle and Eagle are good announcers. They had their A game going on, even though it was the last game of the night and it was late on the East Coast. I, I got nothing. They're they're two of my favorite guys. I remember them all the way back in the day when they used to call the New Jersey Net games and Drazen Petrovic and Derek Coleman and Kenny Anderson were all playing. They, they've always called a good game together. So they, they don't do games to my understanding anymore. But when they get together for the NCAA tournament, it's kind of a treat. And I was excited that they they got a chance to call our game. So it's the two of them. And Raf, those two and Raf, they, they could they could do no wrong in, in my book. And once again, the Birdman and Spinarkle called a great game. Now, Mike, this isn't the end for us. Next week, we're going to come back and give a little grade book of the performances for the team, the coaching staff, etc. But again, this was an exciting ride. I'm excited about this year. I'm excited about next year. So you're over your grief. It, it took about 35, 40 minutes of this podcast to get past your grief. Is the counseling session done? I will not apologize for my emotions, Mike. The season was good. That game 
it, it hit me hard, Mike. You don't want to see something like that end like that. So there are going to be some fans out there, and I get it, that at the end of the day, they're going to be results-driven and they're going to be a little bit disappointed in the moment. And they're going to start making comments like four years in the tournament and we're one and four. You know, our ceilings are one and done. I'm not I'm not going to have any of that tonight. It's just it's not the time or place that this team, even though it didn't reach some, you know, magical run into the Sweet 16 or a Final Four destiny type trip. This team still, in my view, is going to be a special team uh, in, in the history of Seton Hall as to what they were able to accomplish relative to what I thought was going to happen coming into this year. So the, to be on the edge of my seat, to have the heart-stopping moments, yes, it kind of stinks to have it end this way, but I'm not going to let that take away from the overall year, and I'm going to continue to remain positive as we roll into the recap uh, and, and give our hand our grades out in the next podcast and project what the ceiling is going forward. I got a slogan, Mike, and let's end it on this. Next year, it's the drive for five. The drive for five. I'm waiting for you to sit there and say, Michael, if not now, when? If not now, when, Michael? Not tonight, and I'll Mike. And, and I'm going to tell you Mike. right now, not tonight. Biggie's Biggie's champions next year, Tommy. Biggie's champions. <laughs> See you all, right, week, all right, Mike. all right, I'll, I'll dial it back. Let, uh, good, good night, Tommy. Hang in there, chin up, and I'll see you for the season-ending recap. So if you have enjoyed this podcast, please listen to our previous podcasts, which include interviews with former walk-on John Yablonski, former WSOU color commentator Mike McEnany, and 1989 team manager Clark Holly. For Tom Chilkoharski, I am Mike Dizzy Diziri, and you have been listening to Left Coast Pirates.